This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, what's next on our list? Okay, I think we can get into the meat of it now with okay. the spring terrace. So there's a spring terrace, and 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 then there's a thing I call um, the humus well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's start with the spring terrace. Yep. Yep. So this is a project that septed when it was still owned by the lady on his new farm. Should I tell? Um, I'm going to tell the story real quick. Go for it. You love right, it. All right. All right. I've told. It, I'm sure I told it on this podcast before. So basically, uh, this woman fucking hates Sep and and so she brought Sep out uh, to, to Sepify her land and so he got started and of course the first thing you do is you dig and it's like now it looks like uh, a strip mining facility because you're in the middle of shaping everything and so while he was only like I don't know a third of the way into it or something she ran him off like no you made it look like strip mining it's all like dug and stuff so then, then she just couldn't seem to stop herself from hating on him and hating on him. So she hated on him so much she wrote a book. I hate him this much. Uh, I wrote a book. And then she went on a publicity tour. Sepp Holzer is a monster. And here's how monstery he is. And um, so eventually it got to the point where um, I think it went on for years like that before I think Sepp finally initiated the lawsuit. Well, I think if, if I understand correctly, she actually initiated the lawsuit against him. Oh, that makes the story even better. Lost the lawsuit, and the way that it works in Austria, you're you counter sue. You realize you're I telling, the, telling story. the story. <laughs> the way it works in Austria is that you're presented the opportunity to counter sue for the losses of the lawsuit, what it costs you. Yeah. Um, and so that's how everything precipitated. Okay. Okay. That, that makes the story even better. <laughs> I didn't know that part. Um, but I, I do know that in the end, the judge found it in favor of SEP, and um, and so much so that the judge said, okay, first of all, the lady gets to go spend three years in the pokey, and all of her possessions, all of her, and she's a wealthy woman, all of her wealth, the books, all of her property, including that piece of land, all of everything now belongs to the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepulcher. And so um, SEP uh left the whole uh, left uh uh the Kramerhof to his son Josef yep and uh and went on over to this new place um which he renamed Holzerhof uh how many acres is Holzerhof it is it's 9 hectares which i think is 18 acres so it's not it's just under huge. 20 yeah no it's it's a small it's it's much smaller and he has completed the sepification, mm-hmm. and he lives there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it sounds like he has gone far, far beyond. So, all right. So there's there's the story, real quick. Um, there's so many more details. I could, I mean, I've, I could probably go on for four more hours about all the different people I've talked to, like uh, when Emo was over, mm-hmm. Emo and Judith yep. were over. Yep. The, apparently, they were on the heels of the case had been closed. Yeah. Yep. And they exactly. were just giddy. 
over the results. And yeah, that was just when he moved to that property the following year. Okay. All right. All right. And so everybody was super happy, and they couldn't yeah. stop talking about it. So I got to hear all the stories over and over and over again <laughs> uh, for people who speak English. Um, but all right, all right, that's a that's another another story for another day. Yeah. Um, but the the critical thing is is that there is this spring terrace. Yeah. And so it's a thing where it's like because it's a dry property. There's it not is like a, a very dry property. There's in no much, water running through it. In a much drier part of Austria as well. Okay. This place receives half of the precipitation uh-huh. of the Kramatorhof and twice as much temperature. Just real quick. I, I'm noticing that you're like, um, okay, so you got your feet on the little dog bed heater. Yeah. You're sitting on my couch. Yeah. And you got this light over here. I got the sun right over There's, me. It's the sun. Okay. Now I'm going to look at it. Okay, apparently in my office right now it's 66 degrees. Okay. But what temperature does it feel like? Mm, 74. So you feel plenty warm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all I, I, the, the, the key to this is is that when I put out my video showing uh, Emma, um, and she's sitting in that seat at yep. my desk, and yep. we've got the dog bed heater and the lamp over her head, and people are like, yeah, but you know, it's not like I'm going to sit at my desk all day. Yeah. And it's like, you, you can do this with a couch. No, you can't. You're sitting on a couch. It's pretty comfy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's working pretty good yeah. right now. <clears throat> so I kind of feel like... I could be watching boob tube for hours right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is an experiment which I think is a very successful experiment. Yep. And I'm constantly doing experiments. Which, by the way, what was what were we talking about? Seth was so doing a. This is an experiment, exactly. <laughs> and so this was something that he wasn't sure was going to work. He thought it was going to work. Did he have a dream about it? This one, he if he did, he hasn't said that. Okay, all right. Because um, a lot of his stuff starts yeah. with a dream. He has a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, I, I mean, he really is, in many ways, he's just a child acting out his dreams, experimenting based on his creative mind and what it's bringing up. But so this is a case where he wasn't sure it was going to work. He thought it was going to work. He put the system in place. At first, no water came out of it. And then as the system started to charge, there started to be a little trickle of water and within a couple of months now he has five gallons five sorry five liters a minute produced that he's basically harvesting from this terrace agroforestry system that's feeding this spring terrace so i'm doing conversions and it's like 60 gallons per hour Um, yeah yep yeah and so you know et cetera et cetera so it's like that's an enormous amount of water per day that's more water than i get out of my well okay day wow yeah. So, um, because it's 60 gallons per hour, if there's 10 hours, it's 600, but there's 24 hours, so it's 1,200, about 1,500 gallons per day, yeah. I am able to get 300 gallons per day from my well. Wow. And so, when we have an event here... Things get interesting. <laughs> yeah. Everybody keep some, uh, like, a gallon of water on your person. Uh, yeah. Just in case. Because it has happened. Yeah. Yeah. But still, that's that's a that's quite quite a quantity of water. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Certainly enough for a family homestead, family household. Sure. Sure. On a perfectly dry property. Yep. Now, um, requires sloped land. Requires sloped land, and in this case, requires also an impermeable clay layer. And it's kind of like it depends. In order for this to work. It kind of depends on what's underground. 
what's underground and where it is. So there's two big things to making this equation work. One is there being that hard clay layer mm -hmm. that none of the water is infiltrating past. And then two, that there's quite a large area uphill of this all feeding into a little... It's a very narrow gully. I wouldn't even call it a gully, but it is a depression. Yeah. Um, Might be 50 feet wide, this little dent. This the, little... Yeah, yeah, the dent in the landscape, yeah. And then the terrace itself is probably, oh, it might be 150 yards wide, the whole terrace. So it extends right. through the Lengthwise, middle of this gully and then out either side as well. 150 yards wide. Yep. Uh, or long, lengthwise, 150 yards long. Yep. How wide? That terrace is what four is meters. It? Four yeah, yards. it's like four meters. Yeah, yeah, between three and five. It's not the same width the whole way. Right, right. And then now we're going to get into you know the yep. real conversation here. Yep. He dug. So he has the terrace there. Yep. So it's like it's called a terrace spring, but it's like I kind of feel like the terrace has nothing to do with it. It's the, a misnomer. Well, so the it's distraction is a magic show. So the terrace is part. <laughs> there of is the no spoon. The strip of the spring, but part of it too, and it's it's hard. You know, with nature, everything's so interconnected. But there are two terraces uphill. Yeah. Of this that help infiltrate more water. Right. They help to dr to direct water to the little dent. Yeah, exactly. And actually feed it into <clears throat> the living soil layer above that clay layer. Right. It's feeding. So the terrace that the spring is built on doesn't impact the spring that much, but the other terrace is uphill of it likely impact it a great deal. Okay. All right. I get it now. So yeah. calling it a terrace spring is legit. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's not just the terrace where the piping is, but it's, it's the also the ones uphill. Too. Uphill. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so you have this impermeable clay layer down there. And so when he was digging, he found this clay layer that was very hard. It was like hard to dig through. And he said, oh, there's no water going through this. And so what they did is like a spring casing, they basically dug a long trench, like a hundred and 50 yard trench down to that clay layer mm -hmm. so it was deeper in some parts shallower in others depending on where that clay layer was then put a pipe in there with slits on the top two thirds mm -hmm. not on the bottom third right filled that with washed round gravel um, and then capped that again with soil. And so what you have is you have the water infiltrating through the terraces uphill with mm -hmm. the trees providing more organic matter, more shade, more water entering the soil, moving on that clay layer until it finds that gravel in the pipe and then it follows the path of least resistance which then connects to a T and leads to a spring box where it collects for head pressure. All right, so we've got Seps. We got a thread on Permis called Seps Spring Terrace, which yep. has lots of pictures. Yep. Yeah, and drawings. Pictures of, and then an elevation of what what this actually everything that I explained what that actually looks like as a cross section. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> so I think it's fair to say, and really what happened is that Sep got an understanding of what he had. I mean, he could see the land. Yep. He could see that there's like slope, and and of course, I I'm wooded slope is the only place to do permaculture, in my opinion. I suspect Sep would agree. Uh, in oh, a cold climate, naturally, Willie Smiths will have a different philosophy yeah. set. Yeah. Um, 
but all right, so he's in wooded sloped country. Yep. And um, and he happened to notice that there's a clay layer there. Yeah. And it's like. I can leverage that to my favor. Exactly. So it's not like everybody's going to be able to do it. But some people, it's like instead of a clay layer, they're going to find that, oh, um, underneath like two feet of soil, there's um, the rocky fucking mountains. Yeah. And and it's like one giant rock. Yeah. And um, other people are going to, you know, be on a slope and they're going to find um, other things on there that won't work. Yeah. Uh, but. <clears throat> and I think this touches on how I think what one accepts real talent is, is just assessing natural systems yeah. and seeing the small ways to work with them. So, for example, the one of the two terraces feeding into this spring terrace is also his nursery plot. Mm-hmm. And he identified there was this mature nut tree forest where the nuts were just rolling downhill. They didn't have enough stability to germinate. And so he came through. He created one terrace through that area. Now the seeds have a spot to germinate and grow mm-hmm. out. And he literally on this one terrace had thousands of dollars worth of nursery stock that he had done literally nothing for. He hadn't mm-hmm. watered, hadn't grown. He just created the terrace because he recognized this natural resource that was being wasted and started to put it into you. Same as the spring terrace. Recognizing this natural resource of the water moving through the Earth's body and then putting it into a form of use. I'm going to guess that what he's doing with those trees is selling them. Uh, Between selling them and then a lot of them he's just planting out on his own property too because he doesn't want to deal with the marketing side of selling things at this point. Why doesn't he just, like, if he finds a spot where he wants a tree, why not just plant the seed there? Oh, he does that too. Yeah. yeah. It was more like there was this resource that was being wasted. Right. And those seeds were just rolling downhill. So to right. turn it into a, a resource rather than... Yeah, he definitely I mean, collects the seeds and plants them in place as well. See, I, here's here's my impression yep. of Sep. is like, you know, do you want to buy one of my trees for far too much money? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll totally sell you one of my mm-hmm. trees for like... I know that the place down the road will sell you the same tree, the same size, yeah. for $25. Yeah. I'll, but I'll sell you one of mine for 100 if you think that's too much, then don't buy it. Yeah. But then, you know, people are like, but it's the Sepp Holter tree. I would love to have a tree in my yard. And it comes, and of course, when Sepp sells a tree, it comes with its guild. Yep. You know? Yep. And so people are like, oh, yeah. But I think that the bottom line is, is that um, I think Sepp also knows, because I know it, because I've heard him say it, um, you know, don't. You know, if you if you go and you start that, if you transplant that tree, you're going to lose the taproot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and so it's kind of like mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he's not going to do that. He's going to plant it from seed. But oh, I could see like both. I could both. see him like doing it like, oh, I'm going to do it here because of I've you know these these reasons or something. And I think the big thing with Sep is even as much experience as he has, he doesn't get set in his ways. He's always experimenting and doing different That's things. True. So he'll do one from seed and he'll do one that he transplants right next to each other to see which does better mm-hmm. and then you'll continue doing whichever works out better but so it's is like he'll transplant 30 year old trees sometimes and he's proud about how he can take this tree from an orchard that was going to trash it basically and move it and still get it to survive on his place and rehab these old trees that are still around and for the most part just being ripped out for development yeah yeah um, before we move on to the humus well, I just remembered something which must not be on your list, and that is to talk about 
the thing you don't want to talk about. Yeah, the secret thing. Yeah, the secret thing. And I checked with you, and you said, yeah. well, we could talk about the secret thing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And so I got to preview um, some parts. It wasn't even the whole thing. Yep. It was fragments of... A work in progress. ...of a movie. Yep. And um, and it's going to end up being a short movie, like 20 yep. minutes long. Yeah, yep. And, and what I saw was profound and it's like oh yeah and it's like clearly the the animator involved um gives a shit yep yeah and And the filmmaker we've had an incredible team so far so the animator has skill and gives a shit yep it's like the it's and like same the with thing. the filmmaker has okay. skill, gives a shit, and has a good understanding of the watershed because this yeah. film is all about water. Yeah. It's all about how humans have lost our relationship of stewardship with water, and this is leading to climate extreme, to the cycles of flood, fire, and drought. And how do we start to become part of the elemental change to improve the situation? I, you know, and it, it's. I feel like so often when I try to talk about these things, um, I my only option is to say the same thing louder. That's like all I got. You know, <laughs> you got a loud voice. Yeah, yeah. Work I can with tot- what you got. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Damn right. But it's it's kind of like you know when people are like, well, well, you know, here I've got this drought. They say drought, and I kind of think like. You made the fucking drought. Absolutely. You know, stop saying like, oh, the the drought fairy came and team yeah. took away all my water. Yeah. I'm so Or the sad. natural disaster fairy came and flooded this city. That is yeah. not a natural disaster. That's a man-made disaster. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's kind of like, you know, it's poor force. And it's like people are like, oh, well, it's because those other bad guys over there. Yep. Which, by the way, you totally finance those fuckers. Yep. You know, which is part of what my book goes into a little bit um but uh the other thing is is that it's kind of like no you did it yourself you know yeah. yep. you went and you cut down those trees that way yep and and it's like there were other ways to do it yep. and you didn't and you built your house and your driveway in a way that desertifies the earth yeah and there are ways to do it that offsets that effect or even has a benefit effect and so then we try to talk about it and it's like i've I see eyes glaze over, yeah. I see people yawn, and it's like they're not getting it. And it's like it's like when I do that, in fact, when I when I go on a speaking tour, and then um, and people want me to speak, the number one thing they want me to present is replacing irrigation with permaculture. And and it's like I share all these things, and and it's like it's a bunch of different things, and they all add up. And now you you don't have to irrigate anymore yeah. because of, and I kind of feel like people believe it for a moment, but I think once they leave, they forgot half of it. Yep. And and even as I'm saying it, I think there's a lot of things where it's like they're not, you know, but the the video that I saw explains it in like one minute better than my two-hour presentation does and wow. and i kind of feel like oh oh zach i can't wait for you to release this <laughs> I, i'm gonna steal it <laughs> and, and spread it around yeah, I mean, that's, so, that's the idea mm. and how we've really been focusing on how do we distill it down to the simplest language the simplest narrative yeah. so that people can walk out and communicate about it and feel very confident in what they're communicating 
and then and then um I talked to you about it after being allowed to see it and um the thing that came up is like I chose this spot for very important reasons cuz in this spot I can do things that I cannot do in a lot of other places and so one of the things you were saying is is it's like we have a solution. We can fix everything. Yep. And it's not that tough. Yep. It's it's relatively easy to do. We can yep. do it. Problem is, it's kind of against the law almost everywhere. It's insane. It's insane that we live in this climate where we have all of these problems, all of these crises, and implementing the solutions is now illegal because of the framework that's been set up. And then, like, you know, when, when I got a chance to... So I've got one podcast with Sepp Holzer with his gloriousness. And so... Um, and the, the only thing he wanted to talk about in that podcast is about how in his area they're coming in to flood like four towns and replace it with hydro. Like these, they're going to put in a huge dam. Yeah. These four towns are going to go underwater. Yep. But they won't allow anybody in the region to do micro hydro. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it is comedic. And, and on top of that, when he was here, like in Bozeman, yeah. at the Bozeman event. Have you heard the podcast where I totally bitch about your event? Oh, I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was so angry. And, and, uh, but I was too. I mean, I think everyone was, was the frustrating part of it. And, and it's kind of like, um, uh, mm, oh, mm. but the big thing is, Sep didn't put in a pond. Mm-hmm. And it's because he was afraid that he'd get kicked out of the United States and never be allowed to come back. Well, now he's not coming back. Yeah. Everything I've heard from you is he's never coming back. Why didn't he do a last hurrah? <laughs> you know? Well, he Break did, some laws. Yeah. <laughs> he did come back since then. So, uh, he's yeah. been back a couple of times since oh, then. So I got my lovely medal. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which um, apparently Holzer means wood. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so yep. he said it has to be made out of wood. Yeah. So. Yep. But it's, um, you know, I think for me that was a really big lesson how important civil advocacy really is when it comes to stewarding our natural resources. And I have, I know of a project that was done in California and. Everything that was done was not legal in this scenario, but it was it was directly to impact the cycles of flood, fire, and drought. And so in this case, the fire did come through anyway, but this work actually saved the house. There was a mudslide that would have taken the house away, mm-hmm. um, and this work actually prevented that from happening while putting more water into the watershed, while preventing erosion from downstream, while creating wildlife habitat, while providing drought mitigation, flood mitigation, fire mitigation, but it's illegal. How are we ever going to fix California if these solutions that are proven that work are not able to be implemented? Art Ludwig is doing it. And I got a podcast with him about how he's doing it. And so basically, it is kind of like what you alluded to just a moment ago. And it's like, here's what you do. You break the law. And then when when it's working and you can prove that it's working, you don't show it to regulators, mm-hmm. you do show it to legislators. Mm-hmm. 
And, okay. and so now Art Ludwig uh, has written a bunch of gray water laws for the state of California. Wonderful. Because the legislators yeah. saw what it did yep. and how powerfully effective it was and how right it was. Yeah. And so now he has written those laws. Um, I got to take exception to the whole thing about, like, we got to change laws. Now, granted, Art Ludwig is doing it. Yeah. And it's like, I can't imagine a more miserable existence than writing those laws. Oh, I agree. And I think that the way that they change is exactly what you just explained. Yeah. They are broken. They show that it works, and then they change them retroactively. And that's how a right. lot of stuff with SEP has gone. That's how a lot of stuff yeah. around the world has gone. And that's the, we need those people that are have enough civil courage to do that as the first step. Like let's say let's say you're in an area where a rocket mass heater is illegal. Yep. And then there gets to be a point when more than half of the households in the whole state are heated by rocket mass heaters. Yeah. That's about the time when they say, you know. I, I think These we should. Actually legal I now. think we. I think we should make them legal now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I think that's how change happens. Yeah. And and it's like the, well, and I should point out too that uh, rocket mass heaters. Uh, well, you know, just real quick. Um, not only are they legal now in a lot of places, like I imagine a third of the places where people want to build them, they're actually in code okay, and and acceptable. Not only that, but in the last. Uh, Year two years, a lot of insurance companies have come around and are oh, big supporters. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Excellent. it's so change is in the works, and it came from so many people pushing. Yeah, yeah. And whether yep. legally or illegally. Yeah. And well, and that's exactly where the idea for me for this film came. Is I know if I'm the only one pushing, we're not getting anywhere as far as actually figuring out and resolving this water crisis but if mm-hmm. we make this groundswell movement of people and they're all pushing for it yeah that's how things change pushing for it and doing it exactly you yeah. know yeah. and and it's action yeah and it's kind of like um uh and then the other thing is is like okay you know how to do the regulator dance yep which is like okay in fact this was the thing i was saying that was over in bozeman and sep's like I don't want to build the pond. I don't. I don't want to uh, get kicked out of the United States. Well, just to clarify, too, Sep wanted to build the pond very much. He didn't care at all about him getting in trouble. It was the homeowner okay. that flip flopped and that did not allow. I'm yeah. Um, I I want to talk about this at great <laughs> length, but but, but okay, let's yeah. let's go with uh, one of these versions happened. Yeah. Okay. And the thing that I said at that time, which I still stand by, so yeah. it's not like I say it behind Sep's back. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen Sep and I getting into it a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. So, um, and and I love having these arguments with Sep. I'm and from his perspective, I will forever be wrong. And then what I said appears in his next fucking book, and it's like, how wrong am I now, motherfucker? <laughs> of course, it's his, it's his idea then. So, but anyway, for where that pond would have been, there would have been only one party that could have put, possibly seen it. Mm-hmm. And the thing I suggested was to build a berm. Mm-hmm. Right along the property line right yeah. there. So yeah. that way that property owner would not be able to see the pond. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you build the pond. Yeah. And then nobody... Because all of this stuff is complaint driven. Yeah. 
you'll notice that I have a lot of berms here. Have you seen my berms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Nice and protected, which I agree with. I mean, in that case, just knowing the intricate details, they do actually have uh, flow gauge monitors above and downstream of there. Mm-hmm. So there is the potential they could have gotten busted even without that because the the, sure. na- the one neighbor is also the one with the water rights for that property because he sold the property without the water right mm-hmm. that's his own thing that should be legal to separate the land and the water but that that was kind of the at the root of all of this is not owning the water yeah. and the issues that come uh, with that there's a comedic mess down that road oh, as well it's crazy absolutely so um i I kind of, and and this is a big part where my book is. It's all about what you can do for exactly. yourself. Yep. And and we do throw out a couple of the things where it's like the legality of it, like building a rocket mass heater. The legality of building a rocket mass heater depends on where you are and yep. all kinds of things. Yep. And then it's like you know how what's your courage level? Yeah. You know, it, it's gonna if it saves you a thousand dollars a year, and you can build one in a weekend. Yep. Um, um, I don't know. What are you, you going to choose to do? And a lot of the times, the fine is less than the cost of the permitting. It's kind oh, of yeah. crazy, but that is oftentimes a, the case. Uh, so often. Uh, it's it's like uh, and then you better get to ask do it forgiveness. exactly how you wanted instead yeah. of modifying your whole plan to try and fit some theory cripples idea it's, of what it like should be. When the uh, the regulator for Portland came to Ernie and Erica's house and then saw the rocket mass heater... And then he tried really hard to be like, you know, okay, is this your only source of heat? And then he's nodding his head up and down. Uh like. And then Erica says, no, we have an electric heater also. Uh uh So the regulator was really trying, like, we've got exceptions for this, but you got to kind of work with it. Because I'm filling out a fucking form here. Well, and you have to call the child the right name. I mean, this is also with water bodies. Sometimes, you know, a pond can be a dirty word, but a hummus retention basin or an erosion (laughs) mitigation structure or... Sepp says this all the time. It's important to call the child by the right name. Right. Because, well, and of course, the problem that he had in the... The earlier days is that the government would come up with names and say that's a road yep and it's like it's a terrace yep and all that's a road and it's like you know but in the end i think the fascinating thing is is sep has paid more agricultural fines than any other farmer in all of europe and you know, he managed to, to, to pay, have the money to pay those fines. Yeah. It's not like, you know, yep. he had to sell the land in order to pay the fines or anything. Well, and eventually, the plot thickens. Eventually, he won, and it was determined they owe him all of that back. <gasps> I didn't know that. And they don't have the money to pay him. <laughs> so they're trying to, they were trying to make him say that there was a catastrophe at his farm so that they could pay him from the catastrophe fund because they didn't have any money to cover all of these fines they had charged him th- over the years. It amounted to a huge number. Oh, yeah. Number, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it is it is crazy. It's, uh, I and mean, so now they're scared of him, so they leave him alone. It's it's <laughs> millions of dollars. Yeah. Millions. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but the amazing thing is, is that SEP was so good. And, then, and this is another thing, too, is, is like income streams, which would be lovely to talk to you about some other time. Yeah. But 
All right. Um, we we put off the part about the um, uh, the humus well. Yeah. And and so I think the humus well design is is um, about as simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little bit different, and it's also something that's going to be created no matter what kind of soil you have underneath. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be like all right. So basically, that little dent, that little vertical dentish draw micro draw mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i don't know how else to describe it verbally but it's like you got a little a, gully, a hillside a water wash or and, it, and it's like a little dent in the hill yeah. where the water will kind the of water flows go towards the draw yeah the little dent and we're going to make one of those mm-hmm. and we might make it 30 feet wide and 100 feet long mm-hmm and um, it could be done with a liner. But how do we feel about liners? Man, not good. <laughs> so uh, well, we, we, if you're uh, uh, it'd be basically building a pond, li- building, you know, like compacting a pond liner, mm-hmm. but instead of making a bowl shape, mm-hmm. you're going to make a dented flat thing on a slope shape. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the idea is that as the as the moisture of any kind lands on this flat spot, it's going to run to the middle. The other thing is you're going to clear it down to about three feet. You want this to be underground about mm-hmm. three feet. And so then you're going to make this little artificial draw that's going to have a dent in the middle, and it's going to be three feet underground, and it's going to be sealed like a pond. And then you're going to have a means of collecting water at the dent at the lowest level, which is very similar to what mm-hmm. Sep is doing. Mm-hmm. Only Sep didn't seal it, mm-hmm. he found clay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then the thing, I'm so I think that, like, okay, when it rains, this is going to generate water. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a while, it's going to generate only water when it rains, or maybe for uh, a week after a rain, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, you're going to plant it with trees, uh, not taprooted trees, mm-hmm. but trees. And you're going to plant it with, you know, bu- a brush and plants and growies, things that are going to generate a lot of organic matter, a lot mm-hmm. of carbon. Mm-hmm. We want carbon more than nitrogen, mm-hmm. but nitrogen. Um, and then the organic matter is going to build up in that area. And so um, it'll be a sponge. And so when there is weather, when there is rain, then, you know, it'll be... Now, around the perimeter of this thing, oh, yeah, put in your tap-rooted trees. And then the tap-rooted trees will find water from all sorts of places Mm -hmm. and then share that water with all of the growies that are growing above this humus well. Then as the humus leaks, it'll be caught and concentrated at that one point. Just like with the terrace spring, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is it terrace spring or spring terrace? Spring terrace. Spring terrace. Okay, all right. Who really cares? <clears throat> yeah. But it's interesting. You know, this reminds me a lot of something I've heard heard Sepp say a couple of times with his new farm, the Holzerhof. Mm-hmm. He has these water bodies at the bottom sides of slopes with basically terraced agroforestry systems uphill. Mm-hmm. And he said a number of times. This climate, this amount of precipitation, these water bodies would not work without the terraces and the trees above them. Yeah. Because there really is huge potential in that hummus layer, in that living layer of the soil to hold a lot of water. And so he mm-hmm. says even sometimes 
a couple of months after the last rain, he still has water entering his ponds from all of the rich soil in the landscape uphill. The sponge, yep. the, the living sponge. Exactly. That is the forest floor. Yep. And um, the big part of this is that uh, for me, when I was looking for land, it must have been six or seven years ago, Yep. that I looked at this one property um, and um, there was uh, this 40-acre patch on a steep hillside of uh, trees, which mm-hmm. it looked like they'd never been forested. They'd never been touched. They were just mm-hmm. thick, and the, the trees are falling over, as opposed to most forestry practices where they go and they you know cut down the trees, and then they haul the wood off, and then mm-hmm. if there's anything left behind, they burn it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, But it looked like for this one patch, no one has ever touched it. And so then okay. there's a ton of trees that are falling over, and the canopy is very thick. Yep. And when I was there, it was that one year where um, we had like two months of smoky air from all the forest fires. It was so dry. And I'm there, and it's smoky because it's so dry. And this whole property is dry. There's no creeks of any kind. And I drive along this road where they kind of cut this road in to where these trees are this 40-acre patch, and it's along the bottom edge mm-hmm. of this 40-acre patch. Mm-hmm. And all along this road, um, it's a mud puddle. Mm-hmm. And the water is just drip, drip, dripping everywhere. Yeah. It's a giant, leaky sponge. Yep. It's incredible, the relation of the forest to the water cycle. And humans have a really hard time grasping that beforehand, and they have a really easy time grasping it afterwards. I can't tell you how many places I've been where they say they're having really serious water problems because they've cut all the forests and the forests were what infiltrated the water that fed their water systems and so after the fact it's very easy for people to understand you get rid of the trees and your water goes away like that but beforehand people have a real hard time putting those two together you know along the lines of sep trying this thing out and he didn't know it was going to work. Yeah. It seems like for, for a lot of stuff, you try to talk about something like, I have this idea. I want to have help people. I want to bounce it off of people and such and such. And, and it's like 95% of the responses are not only no, you can't do it. It's not possible. But a really hostile no. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to actively work to stop you. Mm-hmm. And um, and it kind of reminds me of the whole thing where it's like if, you, if you're talking about like going to Mars, we're going to send people to Mars. And it's kind of like you can't do that until somebody has gone to Mars and written a white paper about it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, why no can't... No one's ever getting to Mars in that case. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so then it's kind of like... so. So much of this is experimentation and just trying. And yeah. it's amazing how many people will work so hard to stop you from trying. And I think that's what Sep talks about a lot <laughs> when he's talking about theory cripples. He's talking about people that are so embedded in the science of things that they're actually crippled by their level of knowledge. They know so much that they think so little is possible that it's actually debilitating. It's not possible to do that unless it's been already done and documented. Yep. Everything that can be done has been done. You cannot innovate. No yep. one's allowed to innovate. Yep. And so um, <clears throat> I, I do feel like, you know, SEP clearly has carved such an amazing path in so many different ways. But I, I think another part of it that I'm getting to is like with the whole PEP stuff. Um, it has taken a really long time to get it started. 
And um, then I got to the point where it's like we've defined like six of the badges and um, defined like maybe a dozen of the BBs. And now people are coming out and they're like, oh, I get it. I see. Now, of course, I'm sure that for every person that's like that, there's a hundred more people that are kind of like, I don't, I don't get it. Why don't you just go to the fucking university? And you know, if you want to learn shit, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. they'll give you a piece of paper and everything. And it's kind of like, um, but, but now, I mean, there's got to be like, I don't know, 20 people that are now writing the badge bits and helping us get it all set up and oh, then like excellent. already the staff at permies.com are starting to help verify badge bits as people are getting them done okay and um and i kind of can't help but think sometime in the next couple of days we're going to get the first person with the first badge mm-hmm. completed mm-hmm. um and it's just it's it's and it's snowballing it's it's like we're seeing more progress happening each day like more than the day before there's, yeah. is going on. So it's like more and more people are getting involved. It's it's like moving forward so fast. Um, I'm having a hard time keeping up. All right. All I'm trying to say is, is like it has been such a joy to work on something like this because I'm used to like mm. swimming upstream. Yeah. And, and I try to do something and it's like people – Rather than trying to understand, they like try really hard to not understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it's like so this has been really cool. Here's this idea that's so radically different, so so radically new, and and the buy-in at this early on has been so large. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I'm just I feel like man, all these years of podcasts and forums and videos, it's really paying off. Nice. And and it's great to work with people where they 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 choose to understand. They mm-hmm. choose to get mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're we're having a lot of strong forward progress. And working with that flow with the people who are going to help push those projects along, that's so critical. And I find similarly in my work, I get this great wave of energy in that I'm working with all these really incredible people that really want to, really want to experience this, really want to create it, and really want to be part of a different world. And they're actively moving in that direction. And that fills you with an immense amount of hope for everything that's going on. So now, how many different projects have you worked on in the last year? I know it seems like you're just all over the globe. Yeah. Um, oh, rough idea, 10 to 12, maybe 15. I The average project is three weeks to a month, yeah. and I've been on pretty much the whole time, so somewhere between 12 and 14. This so last I know year. you're going to go, and somebody's going to say, okay, I want a natural swimming pool. Uh, of course, who doesn't? Yep. <laughs> and I want murmur, and I want some sepification. Can you bring me the water of life? Uh, or was it no, the fountain of youth? Put yep. the fountain of youth over there. Yep. yep. Um, and uh, a little bit of instant farm would be good. Yep. Um, you know, and then uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know. So it seems like you're going around. And, uh, I imagine half of them are natural. Some have at least one natural swimming pool. Um, definitely, I would say more than three quarters of the projects have a water body, yeah. but not something that's specifically, sometimes I'm surprised how few people actually swimming is a priority for them. What's the difference between a natural swimming pool and a pond? 
Uh, I think really just whether you've built the swimming features in. So a pond could be used for many different uses. Oh, yeah. I would say a natural swimming pool is a pond, but not every pond is a natural swimming pool. So not every some ponds are designed to reduce your evaporation and yeah. not really have the filtering systems, but have water year-round. Keep the water cold. Keep the water cold. Yeah, exactly. So lots of trees leaning over the pond, yeah. but not at the dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In maximizing the volume in relation to the surface area, whereas yes. a swimming feature, you might want it getting warmer. So you might have deliberate shallow zones that help heat up the water so that it's more comfortable to swim you might in. Ins- you might put in some kind of insulation layers under the pond to help it hold one. the heat. Oh, you uh-huh. haven't thought of that one? No. That's in David Pagan Butler stuff. You know? Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> you nice. got to insulate it so it can be warm because yeah. people want to swim in the warm stuff. They sure do, don't they? they? Do. They're yep. weird that way. Yeah. But of course, when you got the warm stuff, now suddenly you got all of the, you're, you're really facilitating the creepy crawlies. Yeah. So you well, got to get a beef up. Filter. So exactly. then, yeah. So usually the, the acres for filter are equal to the acres of pond. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, and it's I I look at it more actually as a relation of the three different zones. You have the deep zone, you have your plant zone, your regeneration zone, and then you have your moving zone. And so, it's not always that you need fifty-fifty, but you need those three parts in some good relation to each other. I would say, and the difference between a natural swimming pool and a pond is oftentimes going to be that the natural swimming pool is going to have some sort of recirculation system in it. Yes. Yeah. Because yep. a pond is going to be like, here, here's your bowl, Yeah. water runs in, water runs out. Yep. Um, and sometimes there might not be much of that water. Yeah. But a natural swimming pool is going to be like, okay, maybe water runs in, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a some kind of pump here, probably exactly. solar paneled. Yep. And we're going to have an, an area of shallow water that's going to have a pipe in it to pull the water through from there yeah. and then dribble it back in to oxygenate the water. Exactly. And so um, that's going to be a critical component. And then, of course, all of the, like a dock to jump off of yeah, and a place to be able to, yeah. Spot for in the sun and all of those details, sandy beach, whatever it is that yeah. that fits the goals. Right, right. Okay. Um, I know that you only had uh, half an hour. Yeah. How, how much time has this been? Oh. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> We're looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah, is it? This is kind of like the normal time we sit down and talk. Yeah. yeah. We'll just talk for ten minutes. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. And then and then it's like, <laughs> All wow, stuff comes out. Where'd the sun go? It's gone. <laughs> <laughs> there was a sun there when we started talking. It happens far too often. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way but we it's roll. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's got to be done. It does. It's got. The people want to know. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to squeeze into here? I mean, you know... Let's see. I'm just looking over our list. Oh, you wanted to talk about the airwell. Oh, right. So we got it. We had one put in here yep. um, at the ATC two years ago. Oh, and I should talk about what we're doing at the ATC. The ATC this year, I think the star of the show is going to be like the, the, the number one thing that we're doing is glass recycling. Okay. Like we're going to we're going to combine. We've got all this high temp insulative stuff and we've got a giant Fresnel lens and we're going to make something. So you set it out in the sun and broken, you know, some broken shards of glass go in and out comes, you know, Different shapes of things. We're gonna we're gonna different also shapes of broken shards of glass. Nice. No, no, yeah. like uh, um, different shapes of glass. So the glass will yeah. melt uh-huh. into a shape which we can yeah. use for other things. Okay, okay, nice. So it's our own like glass it. recycling system. Yeah. But 
two years ago, the ATC built a lot of amazing things, including that giant solar food dehydrator. You've seen that. Yep. And we just came out with an hour-long movie oh, about wonderful. the making of that. Okay. So that's available. Um, but uh, one of the things that we did is the Johnson-style airwell. Mm-hmm. And I needed to have that made because SEP said that it will, it's, uh, it'll never work. It's yeah. you know, probably said catastrophic. I remember a, a specific bit I'll share is he said, he asked you where you would put that. And you said up on this ridge. And he said, I've got one for you. I'd put my laundry there to dry out because there's no water up there. <laughs> that, that sounds like SEP. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> so, um, so basically, what he was doing is we were at some kind of event. I think it was, it must have been at the Bozeman thing. Yeah. We, we went up, we went near to a Bozeman. different property in Bozeman. Yep. Yeah, and then so then he's kind of asking everybody like, well, what would you do to get yeah. more water on this? And what would you do? Yep. And then so he turns to me, and I'm like, oh shit. And so I said I would put in an air well. Yep. It won't generate a lot of. It might generate like twenty gallons a day. Yeah. And and he he did the thing that he always does. He puts his hand up and he waves it like right in front of your face. Like, no 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 no. Talk to. There's a little bit of this talk to the hand, but I suppose he's probably never heard of talk to the hand. But <laughs> it's definitely so. a talk to the hand yeah. kind of thing. He waves his hand like, and he shakes his head like that is the craziest, stupidest catastrophic thing anyone's ever fucking said. I can't believe I, I allow you to be within 10 feet of my loveliness. You know? And, and it's like, so he made this big deal about how so now i got to build one <laughs> to prove he's a fucking idiot. And of course, the moment it exists, he'll say he invented it. <laughs> yeah. You know it's true. <laughs> You're not going to say anything. Look at Zach rolling his eyes. He's like, i got to stay the fuck out of this yeah. one. This will haunt me for the rest of my life if I say anything. No kidding. So we made one. We made an air well. It has not worked at all yet. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I. So, I, what are the lessons learned from that project? Well, first of all, I kind of feel like I want to go up there and try and get an understanding of of why it has not produced. Yeah. And and it's like, and I also the other thing is, is that I kind of wonder if it is working when we're not looking at it. Uh-huh. And and I mean, there's evidence. Uh, like, you're we'll see water some there. Physics effect there. We'll see. There, there, there's okay. a bucket there, okay. and it will have water in okay. it. But we'll stand there and look at it. And we won't it see water works. drip into okay. it. And so I kind of wonder if it's... Because it, the other thing is, is like where we decided to build it, we wanted to do a north-facing slope. Yep. So it'd be cooler. Yep. And um, uh, we also needed to be able to get to it. So we've got some north-facing slope that's up in some s- such steep country that it's like we didn't want to take an excavator up there. Yeah. And um, so... It was so close to our property line that it's like, okay, it ended up, we wanted to make, put something in a hundred feet, but we ended up putting something in that's 40 feet. Yeah. And so I thought, well, at 40 feet, we could at least get some kind of indicator of whether or not it's working. Yep. And, but we didn't, we couldn't put it in as deep as we wanted to because, you know, anyway, on and on and on. And it's like, okay, we just needed to, if it works poorly, it works. Yeah. 
and then we can optimize. Yep. We can be, make other ones and stuff like that. Yeah. So we, what we really need to do is to go up there and monitor it more, mm-hmm. and because it mm-hmm. is out of the way, mm-hmm. and and we need yeah. to to do some more tests with it and stuff yeah. like that. But so far, it does seem like we're not when it is a warm day out. And that was another thing too is like whenever it's hot here. It's dry. Mm, yeah. And so it's kind of yeah. like... I think that was Sep's main problem with with the suggestion of an air well is mm. that we're in such a dry, arid climate. There, there's not a lot of humidity in the air to begin with. So it's not like harvesting it off of a humid coast that's desert, but there's a lot of humidity in the air. So I'm, I'm kind of thinking that, um, that it will work... But we might need to fiddle with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, but, uh, you know, the other thing is we got to take the time to go and put some brain on it. Yeah. And, and, but it's at Zach's Pond. Okay, okay. Yeah, so you know exactly where it is. It, I know where, it's just yeah. uphill yeah. a little bit. And okay. we kind of thought, well, when the water comes, it'll help to feed the pond you yeah. made. And so, um, and it's like, well, we got five gallon bucket that's overflowing. Yeah. But it's like, you know, on, on a dry day, and it's kind of like, well, where else did the water come from? Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, we're, you know, helping to breed. Which, by the way, every time you've been here, um, uh, how many mosquito bites have you gotten? Zero. Zero. We're kind of in this magic area where it's like, you know, there's really... Because a lot of places you go and you work outside and it's like, all right, I'm going to work in an air-conditioned office the rest of my life because I'm just sick to death of the mosquitoes and all the other bugs. and We just don't have that. Yeah. We're like, this is like the sweetest spot in the world, Mr. Traveler. (laughs) You should write this down in case you forget... As you're picking the parasites off, I want you to remember, like, no mosquitoes, hardly any ticks, yep. and, and like, everything else is sweet as pie as well. So, just in case you're out traveling and you're picking the parasites out, <laughs> now you, you'll remember this conversation. Yeah. All right. So, the air well. Yeah. It's possible that Sepulcher was right, but I still there's still a chance I could prove him wrong. Hey, you gotta go for it. And that's, I think that's the thing that I've always really appreciated about you is you gotta be experimenting. If you're not experimenting, you're not learning, you're not living, and people who figure it out one way and say this is the only way, that's insanity to me. I think a lot of people, it's like, okay, I read Joel Salatin's book. I'm going to do it the Joel Salatin way. Yeah, I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times I hear that I'm doing it the this way or I'm doing it the that way. And you kind of miss the point when you just try and recreate someone else's system because that worked for them on their land with their personality, with their skills to there try is, and pull it somewhere else. There is some truth to that. But I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of Joel Salatin's techniques. I mean, I love what Joel Salatin says about, like, um, build your own unfair advantage. Yeah. You know, and so like in Fukuoka, too, a lot of this stuff is about not don't follow these techniques. Yeah. Follow these philosophies. Exactly. And so um, but I think a lot of people, it's like, you know, uh, 
it's it's great that they have read enough that they're going to try to do anything at all, yeah. as opposed to doing nothing. Yep. So it's it's still a a big step forward. Oh, but yeah. I, but my impression is is that a lot of people are not going to experiment mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. ever in their life. Mm-hmm. They're going to only try things that they've read about in other books. Yeah. And and it's like that's the that's the extent of the experimentation that they'll do. Yeah. And so somebody else did it and wrote the white paper. They yeah. went to Mars, yeah. documented it. Yeah. Ten other people then said that they did it too. Yeah. Now they're willing to try it. That's yeah. that's as far as they're willing to go. Um, but I kind of feel like we're just getting started. Yeah. You know, yeah. like all of Sepp's stuff, all of all of Joel Salatin's stuff, all of Willie Smith's stuff, yeah. all of Fukuoka's stuff, that's just the beginning. It's just scratching the surface. And I think it really does a disservice to the unique nature of each property to not be experimenting with it, to not be exploring and starting to understand all of the things that make it unique. True. Now, and it kind of comes back to like I've had a few different people tell me about the Wafati, and it's like ah, it's just a dumb thing to do out in the middle of Kansas, and it's like, okay, first of all, what the fuck are you doing in Kansas? Yeah. Um, but it's like if you if you follow the the series of events, where is the best place in the world to do permaculture? And you just be quiet for a moment. It's it's in my it's here, near Missoula. It is the best place in wooded sloped land with deep soils. That's that's the best, the best place. Then it's like now design uh, a natural building using materials from the land. And I believe there's nothing better than a Wafati um, by by far. No contest. And it's like, so if you're trying, so therefore, if you're going to do permaculture, then you're going to do it here or a place like this. And then the structure is going to be a Wafati. Cobb, Strabale, all those others are just dumb now. If you're doing this, then then people are like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, but this is where I am. This is where I have property. And it's like, I don't know how many times people have invited me over, and it's like, you got to stop inviting me over, really. Um, they invite me over, and they say, oh, we want your advice on this, and it's like, okay, here's my advice: sell it, go to a good place. I mean, they're in floodplains. They're, mm. Why are all these people like, look, I bought land. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so yeah. proud. And you're in a floodplain. And it's like, now, now all the soil you built up gets washed away once a year, and you get instead this this amalgamation of all of the horrible practices of everybody upstream of you, mm-hmm. and that's what gets dumped on your land every year. And and so it's also always a toxic shitstorm. Have you ever noticed nothing grows there but grass? That's because of all the persistent herbicides they're using upriver, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. and you get to have that every year. Good luck growing a garden. And try and try and grow your tomato and soil that will only allow grass to grow because mm-hmm. of all the persistent herbicides in it. And you know. And you're asking me, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah, you sell it. You get out of this nightmare that you're in. So. Um, Anyway, your job, which you always accept, (laughs) is to go to somebody who's living in the fucking floodplain, and you're like, I want a natural swimming pool. And you're like, I'll build one of those for money. And then it's like, here's the money. There's your swimming pool. I got to go before the floods come. See ya. Good luck. (laughs) I'm sure that's how the conversation goes. I've never actually been there. Well, and you bring up a really good point, too, is that one of the first things that we do in the process is actually make it not about the thing, 
not about the artifact that they want, but what is what are their actual goals? Mm-hmm. If they want a natural swimming pool, is that because they want to swim? Is that because they want songbirds around them? Is that because they have a pool that they want to do something with? And so they now want to what, attract bikini babes. Maybe they want to attract yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so how how do you really start to marry? So we're in one light looking at the goals of the people, not like I want X, Y, and Z, but I want to grow my own food or I want to be water self-sufficient or these bigger picture goals. Mm-hmm. And then we look at the natural characteristics of the land, say, okay, here's the things that would work well with that. And then what are the projects that bring those two together? So now, all right, I think it's noble that you're doing that, listening to people, crazy people, because I like how SEP does it. Like, I remember being at a place in Tacoma. This was before you met Sep. And he was invited. Um, and he basically took the owner and did the thing with the hand. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to... He- I mean, and, and his philosophy... On this particular property, it's like... He, his opinion of this person who owned the property was very low. Mm-hmm. And everything you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear whatever you have to say. And I'm going to now talk to this group of, you know, 40 people, and I'm going to tell them what I'm going to do here, Mm -hmm. which I'm not going to do because I'm only here for a few hours, then I'm going to leave. But I'm going to basically point out to these people how you're a horrible, monstrous person doing it all wrong and what I would do. And so he did. He just kept pointing out how this this other person did it all wrong. Mm -hmm. Here's all Mm -hmm. the things that they did wrong. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the lesson was SEP doesn't exactly consult in the way people would like to have a consultant. Yep. I think that's fair. And I think one thing that I really respect about Sepp is that he puts nature first and foremost. Nature is his client. The the person who's hiring him to be there, they're just the one making it work, but he's working for nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Write that check in advance. (laughs) Because... I'm going to piss you off. Well, and so that's You're gonna, why, because I've seen that intimately, I've seen it work out very well, and I've seen projects also come short of what they could be, yeah. because the human element wasn't there, it wasn't incorporated, and that's why I try and really do a good job of incorporating Ooh, the actual point. person, because that's what determines the success of the project, is does the project match the person? You can do these amazing things for nature, but you know that property could not work out so well for the owner if it doesn't factor their goals or abilities into it. Which I think is, is a really good point. Because um, a lot of people are going to say, and then I'll come out here four times a day and 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 love on it and do all the things that make it flourish and yep. turn into a paradise. And it's like, um, uh, and I think Sepp's position is, fuck you. I don't want to hear your whiny, crazy talk. I'm going to do something as if you died the minute I leave. After mm-hmm, the minute, mm-hmm. as if you died the moment after you signed my check. <laughs> I want to design something that's going to turn into paradise, yeah. despite your crazy. Yeah. Yep. And yep. and I kind of I, I got to kind of admire that. And it's kind of like at the same time he's going to design it in such a way that you could put chickens on this, you could put pigs on it, put cattle on it, whatever you want. It'll yep. all work. Yep. And um, or you could just neglect it and it'll work. Yeah. And you can, but it'll be it'll be amazing and awesome and sepified. Yeah. I don't care what you do after that. Yep. You'll well, either do something that's great or you won't. Yeah. And it'll still be magnificent because I was here. Yep. 
well, a step out. Of, a lot of this, this Holzerhoff project is such a good example of that because it was a project he did about 10 years before he moved there. Yeah. Then no maintenance was done. It was like totally in shambles. But then the first year that I went there, when he was first moving there, there was food falling on the ground everywhere you looked. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. you and you could see ways that it could be enhanced and better and produce more, sure. Yeah. But nothing had been done since the time of installation, and there was literally food falling on the ground everywhere you turned. And and she wanted it to be a failure. She she worked really hard to yeah. try and and like her book was full of like here's here's pictures of like you know a bulldozer. How can you call it gardening if you have a bulldozer? Yeah. You know it's like yeah yeah yeah. What? No, it's it's earthworks. You, you, all right. So, <clears throat> hey, how we doing on time, huh? Is it time to go? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> huh? Hey, I think we got the list done, though. Uh, yeah, I think we got all the stuff on our little list. We made a quickie list, and yet it still took, like, you know, a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of the way it rolls sometimes. Uh, yeah. That's the way it has to be. Yep. All right. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we'll talk about Zach Weiss behind his back, <laughs> homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.